The last half of this parak talk about different cases of doubt as to who the rightful inheritor of certain possessions is. And this would come about in a situation where two people die, two relatives, and we are not sure which one died first. Now, just before we see the case under discussion in this Mishnah, it's important to introduce that when a woman gets married, as long as she is married to her husband, her husband has the right to use all of her property. And the property which she brings into the marriage is split up into two different categories. The first one is called Nichseitzoin Barzel. Nichseitzoin Barzel are the possessions which she brings into the marriage and basically gives over to the husband. And whatever they were worth at the time of the marriage when she gave them over to her husband, that is how much if her husband later on divorces her or dies, she is entitled to the exact value that they were worth at the time of the marriage. And these possessions are pretty much considered to be the husband's totally. Just that he needs to give back their value if he divorces her or dies. The second category are nirsei meloig. Nirsei meloig refers to possessions which, even whilst they are married, are strictly speaking considered to be hers. The husband is allowed to benefit from them, and if, let's say, it's a field, he can benefit from all of the produce which is produced in that field. However, the, produce, the, the possessions themselves belong to the woman, and however much they are worth upon being divorced, for example, that is how much she would receive. She would take the property back with her. If it went up or down in value, irrelevant of how much it's worth now, that is what she would take. Whereas when Nechsetso in Barizel, she would take the worth that it was at the time of the marriage, because it's really considered to be the husband's, just that he needs to give her the value once they are no longer married. Says the mission of if a house falls on somebody and his wife, and they both die, and we are not sure who died first. We're going to understand that the case is simply a case where they didn't have any children, and Yoshia Ba'al, the inheritors of the husband, for example, the husband's father or brothers, they, Oymim, they claim, the woman, the wife, died first, and only then did the husband die. And therefore, as soon as the woman died, the husband inherited her. So all of her possessions went to him, and now when that he has died, we are entitled to all of the possessions that the woman had. Whereas Yoshia Isha Oymim, the inheritors of the woman, the wife, say, no, the husband died first. And then after that, the woman died. And therefore, the husband never inherited the woman's possessions because she died after him. And therefore, we are entitled to all of her possessions. So with Shammai and Shammai say, they should split all of the woman's possessions. They would have an equal claim on it. And according to Shammai, even the Kasuba the document which is written at the time of marriage, where the husband obligates himself to give the woman a particular amount of money, if he ends up divorcing her or if he dies before she dies, then she's entitled to that amount of money. But until she's been given it, that money really belongs to the husband. So I would have thought that it's the inheritors of the husband who have the chazaka over here. The chazaka, again, we've seen that principle a few times during the last few Mishnayas. Chazaka means that where something has a status, and we assume that that status remains as it has been until now, unless proven otherwise. So until now, the kusuba has been in the possession of the husband. So naturally, the inheritors of the husband are the ones who are, who until now have been supposed to get this once the husband will die. So I would have thought that the kusuba should certainly go to the inheritors of the husband. They're the ones who have the chazaka. However, like you already saw in the previous Mishnah, Beis Shammai are of the opinion that Shtar Ha'omid Ligvo is Kegovoi Domi. 
document or some money which somebody is owed, even before the money has been paid, we view it somewhat as if it's already been paid. And because of that, even before the ksubah has been given to the woman, she has an equal hold on it and an equal level of chazaka, just like the husband and his inheritors. Now, regarding the other possessions, the nixitzon barizal and nixitzon so on the one hand, it's really her property, she brought it into the marriage, and once the husband dies, she gets a certain value of it back. On the other hand, as long as they're married, it belongs to the husband. So with all of the woman's possessions, both sets of inheritors have an equal claim, and therefore they should split it all. The possessions, and we are talking about the nixitzon barizal, that's the property which fundamentally belongs to the husband, just that he needs to give back the value that they were worth at the time of marriage once he dies. So these Bechazkoson, these are in the, they, they both have a Chazaka on this on these possessions. So these, they are split even according to Beis Hillel, for the same reason as we just explained. Fundamentally, as long as they're married, it sort of belongs to the husband, and yet it's the woman's property that he needs to give it back to her once they stop being married. So they both have an equal claim, and therefore they should split it. Ksuba, the money of the ksuba, the According to Beis Hillel, that is within the chazaka of the husband's inheritors. They don't agree with this Shammai's rule, though we view it as if it's been paid somewhat already. And therefore certainly the husband is the one who has the chazaka. And the possessions which come into the marriage and out of the marriage with her, that's referring to the nixim aloig, that she takes, well, once they stop being married, she takes the possessions, whatever they're worth at this time. So these really do belong to her much more. That's why she would suffer the loss if they go down in value, she would gain if it goes up in value. So this property is within the chazaka of within the chazaka of the inheritors of the woman's father, which is another way of saying of the woman's inheritors. If a house falls down on somebody and his mother, and this person didn't have any children, and once again we're not sure which one of them died first, and we're talking about a case where this man's father died already earlier on, so his mother is a widow, and her inheritors would be the rest of her family. Let's say, for example, her brother. Now, if the mother died first, then this man, her son, would have inherited her. And when he dies, then all of his inheritors would receive everything, both the possessions of this man and the possessions of his mother. On the other hand, if the man died first, so it's true that the mother doesn't inherit him, however, the son would not have inherited her possessions, and therefore her possessions would be given to her inheritors. In this case, says the Mishnah, both Bishama and Bishalil agree, that they should split it. Bishalil in the previous Mishnah argued, because of the unique status of the Kasubah, but none, none of those reasons apply over here, and therefore they, they, they should split it according to Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai. Omar Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, which literally means I agree in this case, but really Rabbi Akiva is just saying that I say in this case, that actually according to Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel say in this case as well, that the possessions go according to their chazaka, that is to say that the woman's relatives will inherit the, the possessions of the woman. Reason being that since her husband died, she has had the possessions within her chazaka. Meaning, in order for her son's inheritors to receive this property, it needs to first be inherited by her son, and then her son's inheritors, when he dies, he would get it. Whereas for her relatives to inherit it from her, they're receiving it directly in one stage. And because of that, according to Rabbi Akiva, Basilil argue in this case as well, and hold that her relatives are the ones who have the chazaka, and they would inherit her. Omar ibn Azai, ibn Azai said to Rabbi Akiva, on the previous few cases which we have seen, the Shammai and Basilil argue, we are pained. 
And you want to turn the case of the Mishnah that we said the Bishamah Mishil agree into another machlekes, into another argument. Meaning, according to Ben Azai, Ben Azai holds that the Tanakama, that in this case, Bishamah Mishil agree. However, Biakiva holds that Bishil argue in this case as well and hold that there is a chazaka of inheritance which lies with the woman's relatives. The discussion, the subject of the final parak of Sexual Basra are the laws of documents. And with Arisa, a regular document is called a get poshut, a simple untied document, meaning it was uh, on a piece of parchment or paper. The information would be written down on the document with the witnesses signing at the bottom of the document. However, Medjabonon, because of one particular case, they introduced an entire new type of document. And that is a document called a get makushar. The word get can refer to any document, not specifically that which is used for divorce. And a get makushar refers to a document which is folded a number of times, and each time that it's folded, it's actually sewn together. And this document takes a much longer time to prepare. And the Rabbonah introduced this type of document for a case where a Kohen divorces his wife. A Kohen is forbidden to marry a woman who has been divorced before. And that includes his wife who he himself divorced. And so the Chachamim were afraid of a situation where a Kohen would get angry one day. In his anger, he would divorce his wife. He would regret it the next day, but he wouldn't be able to remarry her. And because of that, they instituted that when a Kohen wants to divorce his wife, the document of divorce needs to be a much more complicated one, which takes a far longer time to prepare, so that the Kohen will have enough time to rethink his decision. And if he regrets it, then he won't actually carry out the divorce. Now, once they instituted this get makushar for the sake of a Kohen divorcing his wife, it was also introduced to be used for other types of documents as well, if the people involved want to use such a document. But strictly speaking, it only needs to be used in a case of a Kohen divorcing his wife. The next Mishnah and a half discuss the differences between a get makushar and a get poshut. It says the Mishnah get poshut, a regular get, which is not folded or sewed up at all. Edom mitoichoi, its witnesses who are signing on it, they sign within the get, meaning at the bottom of the get, like a regular document. Again, a get refers to a document, not specifically that which is used for divorce. Or a kushar, when it comes to a get makushar, which is the more sophisticated type of document, its witnesses would sign on the back, meaning on top of the fold. They'd write a couple of lines of the document, fold it over, sew it, and witnesses would sign on top of the fold. And then they would write a couple more lines, fold it over and sew it, and then witnesses would again sign. Now the truth is they would only sign once the entire document had been written. The witnesses can't sign before the document has been completed. So they would write the entire document, and then they would go through all of these folds with the witnesses signing each time that they fold it and sew it. Alright, continues the Mishnah. Poshut, a regular get. Where, in a case where the witnesses signed on the back of a regular get, instead of on the bottom of the same page. Or makushar, or if it's a get makushar, and the witnesses signed on the inside, not on top of the folds, says the Mishnah both of these documents would be invalid. Once the Rabbanon instituted how a document needs to be written and signed, anybody who deviates from that, the document is not considered to be valid at all. It's only valid if it keeps within the rules of documents that the Chachamim set out. Again, Makushar, in a case where the witness is signed on the inside, not on top of the folds, is kosher, it's valid. 
because he's able to turn it into a regular document. If he just open up the folds and the and the stitches, then it would actually become like a regular document. It might be there's gaps in between a few of the lines because of when they folded it over, but that doesn't matter, the document would still be valid and it would just turn into a regular get. And regarding a regular get, the witnesses are supposed to sign on the inside. And therefore it will be valid according to Rechanan Yor Ben Gamliel. Gamliel says, It all depends on the general practice of that location. And the Gemara explains that Rechanan Gamliel is discussing a case where the general custom of that location is that when they write regular documents, we're not talking about a coin or anything, but a regular document, some people usually get Makushar, some people usually get Poshut, both are used, but this person told the person who was writing the document, he told the scribe, to write for him a regular get poshot. But the scribe went ahead and he wrote it as a get makushar. So according to the Tanakama, this would be invalid because he told the scribe to do it in a particular way and he did it in a different way. So since he deviated from the instructions of the person for whom he is writing the document, it would be invalid. On the other hand, according to Shemingam Liel, we understand that the person wasn't particular that he wants it to be written specifically as a get poshot. He was just telling the scribe that you don't have to make a whole complicated document. You can do a simple one. If you do happen to make a more complicated one, that's also okay. We understand that he wasn't particular about it being a get poshot, since the general custom in that location was not to be particular. Some people would do this, some people would do that. And therefore, according to Mishim it would be valid in such a case. Mishnah base get poshot, a regular get, which isn't folded up and sewn, Edo Vishnayim, requires two witnesses to sign on it in order for it to be valid, or makushar. And regarding a get makushar, which is folded and tied, it's sewn, Bishalosha, that requires three witnesses, at least, and it follows that a regular document which only had one witness signed on it, or again, which only had two witnesses signed on it, they would both be invalid. And the mission is coming to tell us that even though in the case of again, it has two witnesses, and we never require more than two witnesses. Nevertheless, once there are bonon fixed that this is how this document needs to be made, and it requires three witnesses, if there's any less than that, so this doesn't fit within the rules of how a document needs to be made, and therefore it will be totally invalid, even in this case, where there are two witnesses signed on the Get Makushar. Now, the rest of the Mishnah stops discussing the differences between a Get Poshut and a Get Makushar, and it discusses a regular document which records a loan. It's a Shtar Chayv. It records that Ruvain lent money to Shimon, for example. So if we have a star chayv and kosaboy, they wrote in this document, zuzin ma'ah, that the amount of money which was being lent was a hundred zuz, to inun silin esrin, which is equivalent to 20 sela. Now, the truth is, a hundred zuz is actually equivalent to 25 sela. There are four zuz in every sela. So do we follow the 100 zuz, or do we follow over here the 20 sela? 20 sela is only equivalent to 80 zuz. Says Mishnah Inuela Esrin, the lender would only be entitled to 20 sela, meaning 80 zuz, because we go according to the smaller amount. Since there's this contradiction in the document, the lender only has the ability and the power to claim the smaller amount with this document. What happens if it was written in the document, Zuzim R, 100 zuz in Tulosin Selin, which is equivalent to 30 sela? Again, that's also incorrect because it's 25 sela. In this case, in El is only entitled to 100 zuz, again, which in this case would be the smaller amount. 
Kasaf Zuzin Inun. If in the document it's written that the lender lent Zuzin coins to Inun, which is equivalent to, but the next word is actually Renimchak. It's rubbed out. So we're not sure how many Zuz it was. So as Mishnah in Poches Mishnayim, it's no less than two. Zuzin is in the plural, so we know that he lent him at least two Zuz, but he wouldn't be able to claim any more than that because he has no proof that the loan was for any more than two Zuz. Ksaf Silind Inun, if it was written Sela coins, which are, but the amount, again, Venimchak was rubbed out in Poches Mishnayim. Again, it's no less than two, but he can't claim any more than that. Darkoines de Inun, if it was written Darkoines, which are... Darkonis is another value, another type of coin, Venimchak, and it got rubbed out in Pochus Mishnayim. Again, it would be no less than two because it's in the plural. And in all these cases, he would only be able to claim two Zuz or Selau Darkonis with that document. Continues Mishnah, what happens if Kosubo in the upper part of the document, it is written Mone, that he lent him a hundred Zuz Milamata, but at the, doc- at the bottom of the document, where they would write up what was said in the document in a summary form, over there it was written Mosayim, that he lent him 200 Zuz. Or Milamar Mosayim in the main part of the document, in the top part, it was written 200 Zuz, but at the bottom, in the summary, it was written 100 Zuz. It all goes according to that which was written at the bottom. We assume that perhaps in the middle of writing the get, there was a change of mind, and he only lent him 100, or he lent him 200, whatever it was said, at the bottom. Says the Mishnah, him Cain, if so, why do they write the whole top part of the get at all, of the document? If we always follow what is written at the bottom, what's the need for the top part? Answers the Mishnah, because if one of the letters is rubbed off of the bottom part of the, of the document, they'll be able to learn from the top part and find out what exactly, which detail they're looking for by comparing it to the rest of the document.